Thank you for tuning in to the best parenting show on the internet. Post Daily Dose. Hey there, Post Institute. This is Christy Sull, the co-founder, coming at you live with the best little parenting show on the internet. I hope you guys are doing amazing today. Um, I want to start by, of course, plugging these books real quick. Brian's book, From Fear to Love, that you can get at feartolovebook.com. That's the best place to get it. Best price, plus there's some super little bonuses that you get. Um, you get a bonus audio version along with a bonus podcast when you purchase from that site. And then here's the awesome companion workbook currently only available in print at amazon.com. But we are, I am working on it, man. I'm working on it. I've just been a little bit busy with a few other things that are a little more important. <laughs> right? Like last week, being at the hospital with my daughter, that was a pretty big and pretty important deal. I just want to pause for a minute on that and just express, um, I got to tell you what, if you would have asked me when I was 17 or when I was 25, if my life in my 50s was going to look like it does now, I will tell you what, I had no idea no earthly idea that it would look the way it does. But I will tell you, I feel completely blessed. I have so much gratitude to be the co-founder of the Post Institute, to have an avenue to take care of my family that doesn't require that I clock in on someone's clock every shift and that I don't have to account to somebody every time I'm going to be gone for an extended period of time. And I know that that is, it's just like the most beautiful blessing ever. And it really also makes my heart really feel for you all because I know, um, I remember um, what it was like um, working for other people. Um, and there were times it was wonderful, but if I had a child who had complex health issues or complex um, mental health issues that I needed to be able to attend to, I will tell you, it would be so difficult if I had to be working for somebody else. And so my heart goes out to you all. And I also just want to express tremendous gratitude and tremendous gratitude to you all for being a part of the Post Institute and a part of the community that we build here. Um, and then lastly, I want to be sure and plug Brian's book, The Great Behavior Breakdown. Um, you can get this at postinstitute.com as well as on Amazon, Deborah says. So happy to see you, Christy. Happy. Ah, thank you. And it's so good to see you too, Deborah. It's been a while for sure. Um, so my topic tonight is about behaviors. Um, what are they communicating? We know behavior is communication. What are they communicating and what is their purpose? And I'm asking that as just a question, a question that I encourage you to ask yourselves um, and to explore. Um, you know, uh, we've used that. Why do I not have these pictures when I've used them a million times doing talks and things like that? But, you know, we've used that, that image, the graphic of the iceberg so many times. So we have the iceberg up here, right? And then you see the ocean. And under the iceberg is something three times as big. You know, it's like five times as big. I don't know. You know, it's just, it makes this... Thing at the top that you see at the surface just so minute right and underneath is everything under the surface and that's how we think about behavior behavior is just the tip of the iceberg it's simply the tip of the iceberg it's a symptom it's a way of communicating so what is the behavior communicating 
and even for us in our behaviors, a lot of times we have behaviors that communicate and we may have grown up in a family where people learned how to read that so we never had to like articulate what we were trying to communicate, just a facial expression. Like my mom to this day could give me a look and I know exactly what that look means. That look means to, she has a lot of um, auditory, um, like repeat noises and things like that really get on her nerves. So like this, if I was doing this with my mom in the room, she would be like, drop the pin, Missy, just drop it. <laughs> and she wouldn't even have to say it. She could just give me a look and I would know exactly what that look means. So my point is that uh, we all have behaviors that we use as ways of communicating, ways of adjusting to requests. Um, me, I'm a big old eye roller. Um, when I get news that requires me to adjust, like um, I thought it was going to go this way and now I found it, it's going to go this way. You can pretty well bet I'm going <sighs> to, that's it. That's my adjustment. <laughs> I need to do that. I take a deep breath. I roll my eyes and then I'm usually ready to move on and adjust the way I need to. My point being, we all have different behaviors that communicate and they help us. They serve a purpose for us. So the question of what is the behavior communicating and what purpose does it serve is something that I encourage you to be thoughtful about when you think of your children. And I'm thinking about, interestingly enough, I had a couple of different little conversations today um, in social media. Um, one was right here on, on our Facebook page and it was a mom talking about her um, child who's 11 um, repeating words, like she gets on a word. She said almond was the word a while back and she gets really fixated on the word and just repeats it, repeats it, repeats it, repeats it. Period was a word. And it's funny, I, as she said that, as I read it, I thought about how um, with, uh, I, I don't know because, um, you know, my child's not in the public school setting, but I know last year, when she was hanging out with her peers, that was a very popular word, period, period, right? Period. <laughs> I don't even know who started it. It may have been Nicki Minaj, but I don't know for sure. But it was one of those, you know, it was a pop culture thing, right? And so as soon as I read that, I thought, oh, I could just literally hear, I could literally hear this little girl saying that word over and over and over again. And now there's something else that she's on that she just repeats over and over again. And I can imagine a few things uh, from a parenting perspective. One, just the repetition could be a little annoying. You know, we're all human, right? So it could just start getting on your nerves a little bit. That would be one piece of it. And then I think sometimes too, we began to get anxious for certain behaviors that our children demonstrate because we get afraid of what their peers will say or what teachers will say or how is this going to get them in trouble or how is it going to affect their social life, right? So there's a couple of different layers of like the anxiety factor and the fear factor that we parents can get into with regards to certain kinds of behaviors. Now, one of the things that I tend to go towards especially for our children who have been through so much, is if the behavior isn't dangerous to themselves or anybody else, I just don't put it at the top of the list of my concerns because there are so many other things that can catch our attention. But with this particular story, um, 
what struck me was it felt like, um, you know how little kids will repeat a word over and over and over and over and over and over. And I'm sitting here doing that over and over and over and over. And as I do it, just in that little amount of time, it starts sounding a little different. Do you guys remember doing that? Or was that just me? Well, if you've never done it, I encourage you to give that a try. Just pick any O word and just repeat it over and over and over and over and over. And after just a little bit, it starts to sound like an entirely different word. It's just kind of a funny little thing to do. And little kids do that a lot. Um, I would say, you know, probably from about, oh, three or four to probably about eight, you know. And then, you know, for whatever reason, that sort of wears out its unique uniqueness and it's just not so much fun anymore. And so for this person... In this story, they're 11, and so then if we think about the possibility of regression because of trauma, then really, it's not that unusual. Now that I stop and think about it, it's not really that unusual of a thing for someone who's maybe seven or eight to be doing, right? So what I encouraged was not to get too worried about the behavior, but to, one, notice when it happens, because if it has anything to do with anxiety or nervousness, then that would be important to know, wouldn't it? If it's if it's a behavior that's triggered by things that are making her nervous or anxious, that'd be good to know. Just so then you know that there are things making her nervous or anxious. Um, I also encourage like the thinking of it, like how little kids do that over and over because it's just sort of entertaining at the brain level. And it's like exploring linguistics, you know, and how funny that is and um, then the other piece of it was just thinking about the purpose that there, it almost felt like, like if you think of some of the, the behaviors that people think of as self-stimming, right? Self-stimulating behaviors, self-soothing behaviors. It could be something that is soothing to her, almost like verbal rocking because it's repetitive and it's rhythmic. Just because it's coming out of the mouth doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't have the same impact for that child. So it just, you know, I just, in sharing this, it's just like this process of exploring uh, what does it feel like to be behind. And so then I also encourage the mom to try it, you know, try it, maybe not while the child's around. Like you don't want to be doing it in a way that's like making fun of or anything like that or being sarcastic because that, that can hurt. But just to try it and see what it felt like to her because that might give her an avenue. It may give her a different perspective of the purpose that behavior serves. I remember um, Brian talking one time and the way he said it just made the most perfect sense. And I could remember actually um, working with families when I did home-based therapy, having this same thought. We think about different behaviors or different activities that our children are engaged in that we are worried about like gaming on their being on their phone all the time, social media or you know, just different things that they're doing repetitively that may be getting on our nerves. And I remember, if you're going to try to extinguish a behavior, you need to know the purpose it serves and you need to be ready to meet the need it serves, that there may be a need being served by the purpose, by the behavior. And if you just try to take the behavior out, then you're missing the point that there was a purpose being served. So we have to understand a little bit about what the purpose is, what the need is that's being met. And then that puts it in our lap as the adults to see if we can find other avenues for the need to be met if we're going to try to invite our children out of certain behaviors. 
So I'm thinking about um, in our Levolution program, and if you're not familiar with that, that's really cool, and I'll put the link in the comments, but we actually have a platform called the New Parenting Levolution. Um, it has about, I don't know, probably over 50 hours of education, videos, podcasts, webinars uh, that Brian has done. It's just really incredible in terms of the amount of content that's available to the members. And then we also have a private Facebook page where parents can come talk about a specific issue or a specific challenge and really you get feedback really quickly. And it's uh, it's still a relatively small group. Um, there's less than 100 parents and professionals involved and um, we have some really good, well-trained post therapists who are on that platform and I chime in too. And so a mom was just, she just came to vent. She was like, oh my God, I'm so frustrated. It's like everything we do, everything I try to do, it feels like there's all this sort of friction and this argumentative style of relating. And I found myself thinking, hmm, I know kids like that. I've had a lot of kids like that in my life. And now that I think about it, it is it can be so frustrating because you just want to be able to give an instruction or help them do something that you know they don't know how to do and be able to just make it no big deal and go on about your business. But this thing that could have taken five minutes, now we're like an hour into it, right? Because there's all the back and forth and back and forth. And it just makes me think that I think sometimes, uh, well, one, I do know that um, that kind of argumentative style of relating comes from fear that any 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 places that you find yourself in that energy of where you feel like you're battling for control with your child issues of control are rooted in trust and safety so if you see that coming up repeatedly you don't always have to address the trust and safety right in the moment although you can you can actually say things like i can tell it's hard for you to trust what i'm saying that's easy, right? You just say, I can tell it's hard. And then you, can just, you just say that. You can just feel all of the all of the anxiety, even that we have as adults in that moment. You can just go, it just deflates. Just deflates it so quickly. So to be able to say, um, I can tell you're having a hard time trusting what I'm saying. Or I can tell it's hard for you to take, to take these um, directions that I'm trying to give. That's all right. And then just, just leave that. Just to let, just to sort of take the air and the energy out of all that anxiety that's coming up. And remember when we were looking at the great behavior breakdown last week and we were talking about chores and we were talking about we feel like we're asking something that's completely non-threatening, you know, to go brush your teeth. Go brush your teeth. Well, what we don't realize for many of our children, one, like in the book, it just spelled this out so beautifully. So you're asking them like to leave the television or to turn the TV off and go brush your teeth. Well, we know when we stress, we regress. So let's assume that this child might be regressing to a place that's two or younger. And so then we're thinking about two or younger and realizing that's very concrete, concrete thinking. So they may even slip down into a place where the television going off feels like the TV is never going to come back on again. So, wow, that's a big deal. That could be really triggering and anxiety provoking. Then we're asking them to transition from being in the living room to the bedroom or the bathroom rather to brush their teeth. Well, you know, if that's a really big deal and that's a really big issue for your child and you know, you could actually put a cup of water 
two cups, and I only know this because for a while I didn't have a sink that my daughter, who's mobile by wheelchair, could get to. So you could actually brush your teeth at the kitchen table. You get two cups. One has water, one's empty. You brush your teeth, you spit in one, rinse with the other, spit in the cup, we're done. Then they never even had to leave the room. I don't know, that just popped into my little pea brain. So, But let's just imagine for our kids, and you really want them to use the bathroom or to brush their teeth, then they have to transition from being in one room to the other room. Well, we know for our kids, transitions are really difficult. It's just, it takes a lot, you know. For me, I can transition with a roll of my eyes and a big sigh. <sighs> you know, I'm still, there's still a part of me that's like that little 16-year-old, right? I'm in my 50s, and I still roll my eyes and sigh for that transition and that adjustment. So we have to give them space. We have to give them space to adjust to that request so they can go in. And then imagine if your child has any sort of um, hypersensitivities to touch. I know a lot of our kids have issues with taste, touch, things in their mouth. All of that can be a really big deal. In fact, I remember talking to a company about a year ago and they had some special toothbrushes that were supposed to be helpful for children who had oral sensitivities. A lot of our kids do. A lot of our children have oral sensitivities and so then you've got all of this anxiety about going into the bathroom and brushing your teeth and then you come out and then somebody smells your breath to make sure you really brushed your teeth and maybe, you know, so something that seems so innocent, such a little request. Do you see how it became a really big deal just in this conversation? And that's not even exploring every single in and out. So even saying, I get the feeling that it's a little scary. I get the feeling it's a little scary to leave the television right now to go brush your teeth. Let's go do it together. Let's go do it together. Let's go do it together. For many of our children... Finding, you know, having your finger on the pulse to be able to have a really strong sense of what their emotional age is in that moment is so very helpful. Remembering that when we stress, we regress. For a lot of children who come from tough places, day in and day out, their emotional age is, I find this so common, their emotional age is about four years younger than their chronological age. I don't know why four years is so magical, but I see it consistently. Now, that doesn't mean it's 100% of the time. It's just like where they function the majority of the time. So you'll have a 12-year-old that functions emotionally more like an 8-year-old. And over time, the gap between the chronological age and the emotional age begins to close up. Over time, that's that piece where um, Bruce Perry says positive relationship and positive environment over time helps to create healing at the brain level. That's because we're getting more oxytocin released. They're becoming more familiar with the rhythm, the undercurrent of your family. Trust is being established. It takes a long time to get that foundation of trust and security built. Remember what I said, when you're having challenges that feel like battles of control, that's there, your child is kind of dipping into a place that has to do with safety, safety and trust. And our battle is learning about what's worth it and what to just let go because we've got We've got that bigger piece of the pyramid that we need to address. 
we have a bigger issue of creating trust and safety and security, helping them get really familiar with what our, what the flow and the culture of our home is. And you can imagine, especially if you're thinking about children who've been in multiple placements, I mean, it could be so unsettling, so unsettling for them to feel that sense of security deep, like a deep, deep sense of security because they've not had it. And it wasn't there during the most foundational times of their life, during particular parts of brain development, to that for that to really get locked in. But instead, what got locked in was a lot of fear and a lot of chaos. And so, to just to just take your time, you know, it's you know, to remind yourself first, it's going to be okay. We have we have time to help them gain these habits and to gain these routines and to remember that they're watching you all the time and to the more you can do with the more you can do with we don't need to be in any rush for them to have all of these independent skills they're going to get them they'll get them soon enough that you know, if you have children who need you to do things with them in order to for it to be accomplished, it's a gift. It's a beautiful gift. It means that you get more time to reach them at the heart, to, to meet them in that less emotionally mature place, to meet them. Maybe the baby, maybe that's the word, to meet the baby needs that weren't met early in real life. That is a beautiful opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to create healing. And it's an opportunity for you to create relationship. It's an opportunity for you to do things with your child that would have been done with them had they been with you when they were three. Right? And so maybe you didn't get to do it with them when they were three and now they're eight. And you get to do it with them when they're eight instead. I remember a mom, and now she's got an amazing program that she's put together in Colorado. Um, and she's she's um, adopted, her and her husband have adopted and fostered children over a long period of time. And they were asked to consider adopting an, a young man or fostering a young man in their community that had been in a home. And it, it, it there had to be a change and... Anyway, um, we did some coaching together. Incredible couple. She was really frustrated, though, because at first she said, you know, one of the reasons I considered this was because he was older. And so I felt like I wasn't going to have to. There were certain things I would already be addressed because I've had little bitty kids and I didn't want to go through the little bitty kid thing again. <laughs> right. And we had a nice little chuckle. We had a nice little chuckle and I loved on her a little bit. And I said, you know what? The thing is, you won't have to do it as long when your children are older. You don't usually have to do the little bitty child things for as long because there's a part of them biologically that's ready for more autonomy. But if you'll go ahead and meet the need, meet them right where they're at in that emotional age, you'll watch them just soar from that foundation that you established by taking the time to do that. So this mom's, her challenge, her biggest challenge or her biggest irritant, it wasn't really the biggest challenge because usually it's not always about the challenge. It's not like the behavior that's the most dangerous behavior. It's just the thing that gets on your nerves the most, right? So this was the, the thing that got on her nerves the most was 
like the bathroom. She's like, I don't know what he's doing in there. It's like, when I go back in there, it's like, there's just pee everywhere. It's like, I feel like I literally have somebody in my house who just got potty trained and it clicked. Like I watched the light bulb. This woman is brilliant. I watched the light bulb go off for her right then. She was like, oh, I don't know why, but that's really what it feels like. So I'm going to start putting Cheerios in the toilet because that's how I helped my little boys learn how to keep the pee in the potty and not get all distracted and getting all over the place. And so she did that. She met the emotional age that she saw presented. So the behavior, listening to the behavior, what is it communicating to you? Is it communicating to you a place of emotional regression? If so, meet them at the emotional age presented. I think she told me she did the Cheerio thing for like, I don't know, maybe two months. Done deal. Issue solved. Problem solved. On to new things. So, um, I hope this is an encouragement to put your investigative lens on. What is the behavior communicating and what purpose is it serving? Is it serving them because if I, I mean, there's even a piece of this thought. Maybe the behavior like that argumentative behavior, it keeps us, it keeps us conversing. It keeps us connected. It keeps us looped in. Like, if we're not arguing with each other, if they're just compliant and go up and do whatever we ask, would we even be in relationship? I mean, how much connection would they have with this? Are we being present at times at other times? Are we engaging in ways that are more playful and more fun to counterbalance the need to be in relationships that get served by this kind of argumentative friction? Hmm. Something worth thinking about. I don't know. But the point being to just explore. To explore with an open heart. To understand that oftentimes behaviors can be like coping mechanisms. Sometimes coping mechanisms outlive their usefulness, but they're still there. So just being able to get behind the lens of your child. Trust that they are literally doing the best that they can. They are not consciously aware. Most of the things that they're doing, just like all of us, 95% of behavior is driven by the subconscious. So they're not even aware of it. So don't get all crazy. Put your exploratory little lens on. See what is it communicating? What purpose does it serve? And is there a way that I can meet the need that the behavior meets so that we can find a way for this behavior to go away. So, um, much love to you guys. I hope that sometime this evening, if you've not done it already today, you take all the stuff you've been worried about, all the stuff you've been fretting about, all the stuff you've been fussing about, just put it aside, press pause on that, and take 30 minutes to an hour to just enjoy. Play with them. Whatever way they play, let them lead. Go build something with the Legos. Lay around and watch some cartoons together. Read a book. Color some pictures. Cook some food. Whatever that looks like for your family to just spend some time enjoying them and letting them feel the love you have for them. Let the love you have for them shine from your eyes. Oh, milk and cookies, Bethany. That's a beautiful idea. 
Let the love you have for them shine through your eyes. Let them feel it from your heart. I can imagine a giggle fest, dunking those cookies into that milk and seeing if you can get it to your mouth before it all falls apart because you know how funny soggy cookies can be. So whatever it looks like for your family, make sure your children get a good solid dose of just the unconditional love that you have for them. And don't forget what Brian tells us in any given moment, we can act out of our blueprints of stress and fear and overwhelm. Or we can take one to two to three to 10 deep breaths and we can choose love. Much love to you all. I hope you have a blessed evening and we'll see you all tomorrow.